Well, I hope as we worship together that uh, you sense God just speaking to you and perhaps uh, challenge you a little bit if you need it or uh, giving you that encouragement that uh, he also gives us when we feel like we're a little bit down. And everything in between, God says, I want to be a part of that. The problem sometimes is we want to lock him out and do things our own way. As a result, we end up with, um, with, with sleepless nights, primarily because we try to tackle things without his help. And so we've been doing the series called Insomniac based on the idea that some of us have been that guy uh, with eyes wide open at 3 o'clock in the morning. Thanks, Brian. And, uh, and uh, there are a lot of things that, uh, that, that churn through our minds, uh, and it could be things that have to do with um, uh, our family, uh, it could be regrets, or, you know, just different aspects of our existence that are always front and center. And at times we get so caught up in it that we just feel absolutely frustrated. And one of those areas of frustration that actually is described in the Bible, uh, after Adam and Eve sinned against God, uh, Adam was told, you're going to be frustrated from here on out when it comes to work. There was a time when you enjoyed it, but now it's not going to be so pleasant. And that just has rippled out through space and time into our world, where at times we love going to work, and at times uh, it's the last thing in the world that we find ourselves wanting to do. Sometimes we go, and it's like there are people there that we just don't see eye to eye. We're not aligned, and they're a constant source of frustration, notwithstanding the fact that we might be contributing a little bit, but there are Bosses that don't get your world and keep pushing and pushing. There are circumstances on the side of the people that our business serves that um, create a great deal of frustration. And you feel caught in all of that periodically. That may be keeping you awake at night. It could be concerns about how work and finances uh, are related. I don't know what your situation is, but maybe you are frustrated, maybe you're not. So I want to just kick this off a little bit um, uh, by, by a news story that, that just came out recently about some people who work for the military. And I don't know how this story, I don't know the backstory behind this story. I'm going to try playing this. Um, and, and let's see just how this works. Okay, this is a plane dropping Humvees out of this cargo carrier for the Army in Germany. And they're dropping them off at the Air Force Base a little bit too, um, well, too abruptly. Uh, one Humvee right there just didn't quite make it beyond the assembly line to, uh, to the ground there. And the fact of the matter is, maybe you've heard this story, $220,000 Humvee drops out of a plane doesn't deploy the parachute properly. Humvee ends up being scrap metal, if you can recover any of the metal, and will be repurposed probably as beer cans for Budweiser later on. That didn't happen just once. It happened three times. And I'm thinking two things. First thought was, somebody's not going to be happy about that, and this was the military, and this is going to be presented before a tax-paying public some heads are going to roll. 
And then I'm thinking about the guys who are responsible for loading that plane, maybe setting it up in such a way that no fingers can point back to them after the investigation. Because to be quite honest with you, they're frustrated and they've got a lot of things pent up and they just need to cut loose a little bit. And what better way than to see some Humvees fall out of the sky only be obliterated upon impact on the ground. So I don't know if it was a case of frustration where this happened not only once, but three, three different times from three different planes. It sounds almost conspiratorial to me, but I do kind of get it. And maybe you've been in that place where the frustration has been so high that you just need an outlet for all of that energy. Maybe that energy is driving you so much that you can't even sleep at night until you decompress from it. Regardless of what the case may be, God says there is a link between the things that you do in life called work and the purposes that he has in mind for us. And many people are unable to connect the two dots that make that link. And as we go into this part of the series, I, I want to help you maybe uh, with that a little bit. Now, there are different takes that we have about our work, and they range from what uh, Jeremiah said in, um, in, in 2018. He said, why was I born? And this after he was instructed by God to go tell God's people that they are getting way off track and they need to come correct. And as Jeremiah was relaying the message, they shot the messenger, not once, but several times. And this is around the time that he's doing his job, just doing his job, and he finds himself in the bottom of a well, waist deep in mud, and people are throwing curses at him. And he's saying, why was I born? Was it only to have trouble and sorrow, to end my life in disgrace? And Jeremiah, is a, he's called the weeping prophet, partly because his job was just so bad. For some reason, he stuck it out. And I think he's a good place to start because looking at his life, if you ever dig through the Old Testament and read that story, you find that, yeah, you think our circumstances are bad, his are worse. But there's another guy that maybe he's a, a little bit more appealing as far as somebody trying to, we're trying to relate to who really understood work and he understood the connection between work and God and um, he was the writer of Ecclesiastes. The Bible called, uh, uh, basically attributes that, that book to King Solomon and the Bible described King Solomon as the wealthiest, most powerful and, and, and really the, 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 the most well-resourced uh, king of, of his era, if not all time. And he wrote these words about why we were born. He said in um, Ecclesiastes 1.3, What do people gain from all their labors? All at which uh, they toil under the sun. And he's asking him the question, what is the value in working? Where does it get us? Now, a lot of us, I know, start out thinking, I want to work so that I can, I can buy things. And then it, you get married and you think, I need to work so I can provide for my family. But if we're able to just take it a little bit further, sometimes we say, I want to work because I want to spend the rest of my life being gainfully employed, doing something that I will enjoy and not something that I won't enjoy. And that certainly is, uh, is a very common way of approaching uh, our relationship to work. 
Once we get there, no matter what we do, we find that with all of the good things, there's also a fair amount of things that make it very frustrating. And maybe we're asking the question as we reflect a little bit on the reasons why we're doing what we're doing, especially when it's not going so well. When the boss is somebody I can't get along with, when the coworkers are annoying, when the product perhaps that we're moving is not one that I buy into, and on and on the list goes. And maybe you're thinking, why am I here? And it might just be because I, I, I just have to be, I have to survive, I have to be gainfully employed. Well, there are larger reasons why we do what we do. And just to kind of to tell you what the end is, uh, at the beginning a little bit, uh, it has a lot to do with what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Looking to God, he said, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And it's a purpose statement that Paul describes as giving us a good reason why we're here. And the expression that Paul offers is a priority centered in God and everything else comes from that. And that means you and I. And maybe you're not used to putting God first. And maybe you've for a very long time have put yourself first and God has kind of been rotated in and out when necessary. But other than that, he's not primary. And what we have to do is process this experience and ask ourselves, does it benefit to put God first in everything that we face, frustration and blessings alike? And so I want to look at a question that we all have, I think, from time to time. And that is, why are we here? Why am I on this earth in the year 2016? Is there a reason beyond perhaps an evolutionary explanation of just chance and causes and time and, and biology? Or is there an intentional design behind my existence here? And I, I, would, I would go for the latter. I would say that because we have this sense, why am I here, that many of us are looking for a basis for purpose and satisfaction and meaning in our workplace and in the rest of our lives as, uh, as other aspects of our lives unfold. And as you look at the life of Solomon, he was a person who, as I mentioned, had access to pretty much anything that he wanted and he had the opportunity to do anything that he chose to do. And so he's a perfect candidate to go through the experiment of trying to discover through every means possible, uh, the purpose and the meaning behind why I'm here on earth. And maybe you're asking that question. And if you are, I, I hope that what we discover in his experience points us in the right direction. Solomon attempted to find this through everything under the sun. It's a phrase that you'll hear often in the book of Ecclesiastes. And when he looks at everything under the sun, he sees some options. And these options include pleasure. Now, probably no one in the room hasn't had some degree of pleasure at some time or another. And if you have, uh, oftentimes we, we think we'd like to come back for more. 
Well, here's a guy who probably is in his middle ages. And he has experienced a lot. And he's seen some of the finer things in life. And he knows uh, on a more sophisticated level what some of the pleasures are that are out there. And this is how it played out. In his experience, uh, we read in the book of Ecclesiastes some biographical information. Uh, Some of it include um, having lavish parties with many guests, lots of entertainment. And I'm guessing based on some of the things that he wrote a little bit later, there were even comedians there who would give reason for laughter and for um, wit and and all of those things that that, that bring us... uh, pleasure in our minds and as he's seeing all of these things unfold there comes a place where he's heard so many jokes he's he's sort of well it's no longer funny he's had so many people at his house some of them throwing up in places in his house he's seen the dark side that even that not so good Solomon perhaps I don't know what kind of vehicle was available But for a modern person going through a midlife crisis, you know, you're thinking, I don't know, Dodge Challenger, which um, would be nice. But I'm past the midlife crisis, but I'd like to have a Dodge Challenger anyway, just for on principle. But it could be something else. Um, And and that is, uh, he may have had the finest machinery. And as he's looking at things that are pleasing, he looks at his wife and he says, you know what, I wonder if I can trade up. And he starts looking at the possibilities 700 times. And he is described in the Bible as having 700 wives. Uh, And on top of that, having 300 mistresses. And so you do the math, it's a thousand women that he has at his disposal to do with pretty much anything that he wants to do. And he's pondering that. And the interesting thing is, he says, I'm not sure, and you, you can only guess after a thousand uh, opportunities to try to get it right, uh, I'm not sure that the answer is there. He actually did write, just in case you're thinking this is a diversion you want to take, rather wisely and sagely after going through that, the best thing to enjoy is the wife of your youth. And he went back to that initial experience and he said, there's nothing that can beat it. And that really is the bottom line if, uh, if, if you can keep it intact. The second thing uh, that, that he experienced as he's looking at pleasure and he's saying, I'm not finding it here, is he, 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 he reflects on it and he, and he says, I denied myself nothing, my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in, my, in all my labor. Um, that is... As I was with these 1,000 women, there was my heart took delight, which would be Hebrew for the equivalent of looking at Playboy magazine. And then this was the reward to all that toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and all that I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So he's kind of cynical as a result of, of, of all of his indulgences. And he takes it beyond pleasure to include the possibility of possessions. Now this is where it gets real interesting. Okay, the Bible says that he, in his treasury, accumulated 50,000 pounds of gold every year. 
which breaks down, I think, you can do the math on your phone, I think it was about 37 pounds of gold, um, what is that, a day? And um, if, I, if I remember that correctly, let me just break it down in terms of how much gold is an ounce today. Last week it was $1,250. So if you do the math times 37, I think this is where I, I, I have the, the numbers. right. The reason why I'm not an accountant, Matt, wherever you are. Um, uh, Matt, over there, you moved. I'll say. The um, reason why I'm not an accountant, um, but I think this boils down to about $2.7 million a day. So if you have $2.7 million a day to spend, I'd say pretty much sky's the limit. He took upon himself to do, to make, to do everything that would just show up everyone on Pinterest and Better Homes and Garden and HGTV. Even to the point where people would say that his stables alone were one of the seven wonders of the world. And with that degree of possessions, and it, the list goes on and on, he comes to this conclusion. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too, meaningless. Now, I don't know that I'll ever get in the place where I have so much wealth accumulation that I have a continued appetite for more. But it seems like a lot of people who get on this treadmill where they, they, they obtain some and they get a little bit more, then they want a little bit more and you can't get off of it. It becomes a, a hellish ball and chain. Of course, I don't know how hellish that would be, but it becomes a pretty rough thing because it be, it's your primary obsession. All of your attentional bandwidth is going towards that end. And he's saying... It doesn't take you anywhere. It's meaningless. So he's, he's taken those, those two very familiar possibilities and he's expanded on it a little bit. And in Ecclesiastes 1.16, he said, I, I've, I've achieved or obtained wisdom beyond anybody else. Meaning that if he wanted to talk to um, uh, just some of the leading lights in our culture, if it was Bill Gates when it came to running a, a very powerful computer company, or uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is talking about cosmology, or some neuroscientist over here, he could pretty much engage in conversation with everyone that was at the top of their game of the day. He had that level of awareness and understanding about so many things, and yet, at the same time, like so many people that, who have that degree of knowledge and understanding, they still have struggles. They still have to go home and deal with uh, all of the problems uh, on the home front and all the challenges. Um, and he said, there's really no escaping that. If the brightest people have not discovered their purpose, then I'm not sure if, um, if I can. And so he explored it and he said, uh, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and, and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. Now, don't get me wrong. Pleasure and possessions and, and, and learning, the, there's, 
there's, there's no real problem with those things in and of themselves. But when they become the defining reality for why we are here on earth, that's when it starts to get sideways. And he has to, he has to go through this broad range of experiences in order to come up with at least another option. And where he lands at is just simply social prestige. I want people to know that I'm a person of great value. I'm a person that is of great social prestige and a person that should be honored and respected. And he went that angle for a while. Um, It could be the equivalent of a modern-day politician. And he saw the benefit of all the accolades. And he saw the plaques that were being put up in his honor. And the ways that he could offer endowments and money to causes and people looking at him and regarding him highly as a benefactor. And he said, you know, I played that game for a while, but it didn't seem to get me anywhere either. And he said, I'm kind of like the man who's all alone. He had neither son nor brother because he was busy trying to earn the accolades of everyone else. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Now, right about at this point in the message, you could become pretty cynical. And you may be asking, why is a guy writing about this in the Bible? And I think the clue as to why we have a book like Ecclesiastes that offers this this range of experiences that Solomon had is to remind us of something. And that is, we tend to view life through the lens of just everything that we see, everything under the sun. Solomon actually mentions 35 times under the sun or related terminology that says, this is my perspective. But what he discovered, and I think what you and I discover, is that the answers are not within this system. I don't know how familiar you are with any kind of a, any kind of a system, um, but the first time I got a, a computer was in, a Macintosh computer was in 1987. I didn't even know what a system was. I turned the computer on, and by the grace of God, the only way that I could operate it was because it had a mouse. Other than that, I wouldn't have even approached it. But I had no idea what I was doing. And um, I just kind of staggered around trying to discover some things. Uh, And finally, uh, even with that at that point, somebody had to explain to me how it worked. Somebody who understood the person who designed it. And he said, this is what you have to do. And as Macs were continued to be built, they were built so you didn't have to understand that, that it was more intuitive. But you look at other systems in your life, and maybe you have in your house one of these. um, A water uh, filtration, softening, uh, and chlorinating system. Anybody have anything like that? Whenever I bought my house, the previous owner gave me a one-hour orientation of everything. And my head's just spinning. And one of the things that he spent about five minutes on was explaining what to do with the water filtration software softening system. And I took it in, and then after he walked out, I thought, holy cow, I didn't remember any of that. 
Now I'm going to kill my family from poisoning the water because I didn't put the right mixture of stuff in there and I was doing this. And I'm looking at the machine and I'm thinking, what do I do? I know I can dump some stuff in here and I can dump some stuff in there, but that's about it. And it, it was scary. And I asked the machine, tell me what to do. And it just stood there blank, not offering any suggestions whatsoever. And I'm thinking, why is this machine not telling me what to do? How can I begin to understand how I can't poison my family without this machine telling me? And finally, I asked for help, which is something that a guy doesn't normally do, but that shows a level of desperation. And as I asked for help, a person said, yeah, I understand how this works. The way it was engineered, uh, it, it was built this way for this reason, because they wanted to have this kind of an outcome. And he goes on to explain, you know, backwashing and all these things that had no real meaning to me. But once I understood the mind of the engineer who had designed this, I knew why this thing had to run a certain way. And why if I did things one way, it would kill my family. Uh, and then, and then... And then, of course, then I would know not to drink it. And then after that, I'm just kidding, I'm not that guy. But, uh, and then after that, I would know how to manage it. Now, how many of us, when we look at life, when we look at our purpose, when we look at the things that God calls us to do, are only seeing what's in front of us? And what's in front of us isn't giving us the answers. And when God looks at you and I, he says, I get what they're going through. And there is one thing missing. And it's not under the sun at all as much as it is beyond the sun. And these are the two conclusions that he came to. He said, basically, if I look at everything under the sun, it's meaningless. It doesn't offer me what I am designed to discover. However, if I look beyond what is under the sun... I begin to understand. And at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says a phrase right at the beginning of that ending chapter. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. But just notice what's going on here. He's looking beyond the sun to the creator. And he's starting to ponder who he is and what he's all about. And he has enough information, actually, at this point in his life to understand a few things about the Creator because the Creator's already revealed some things under the sun through God's Word to him so that he can can begin to process that the one beyond the sun is now involved in the lives of the people under the sun and people like Abraham and Moses and others who had gone before him, have described what that connection is between what we do here on earth and what God has in mind in terms of our purpose. And so he says, remember that. And remember the creator who told you that in the days of your youth. Because when you get older, you could suppress all that information and you could go through at least those four things, pleasure and possessions and Um, maybe learning, and then finally social prestige. And you'll discover that uh, there's no answer, no pleasure in them. And you'll 
because you've forgotten God at that point, you won't even factor in that there is one beyond who can speak to your situation. And so Solomon just cautions us and says, what you learned about God in the first place, keep that in mind. Because trouble is going to come. And when it does, he will help you 10 times out of 10. And even take what you're going through in, in terms of your frustration or your struggle. And use that to equip you with perseverance. And with, with the skills and the, the, the basic mindset that you need to make it through life. And as he discovered those things... He's saying, don't forget them, or your life is going to become increasingly dull. The things that you found pleasure in initially, as you pursue them more and more and more, will become less and less and less. And that applies to all the above. Now, maybe that's where you're at. And maybe you're not sleeping at night because you're thinking about work in ways that might not be the best. When Solomon said this, he said, remember your creator. So let's go back to the creator for just a second as we, as we uh, wind it down. Has, have any of you ever heard of the book Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren? A lot of you have. About, um, boy, it's been maybe 15 years ago. This church went through a campaign where everyone read the Purpose Driven Life. And it perhaps is one of the most influential books in, in recent history. Uh, because it answers this question that we've been, we've been asking. Why am I here? And when it answers it, it starts off with this very first phrase that is absolutely essential to get right, or the rest of it won't make the sense that it needs to make. And I'd like for us to just read that phrase that is said on the bottom line there. Read that with me. It's not about you. And we could say it's not about me. And as you say that, you may think, wait a minute. Everything in my world is designed to service me. Everything from the marketplace to opportunities to whatever I can imagine, it's about me. And we are so conditioned to view life through the lens that it's all about me and what I want that we start to lose sight of why we're here. People have actually said that American culture right now is more narcissistic than it has ever been, meaning that everyone is just doing what is right in their own eyes when they feel like doing what is right in their own eyes. And you don't have to go very far to see the chaos that creates where communities break down, families break down, everything breaks down because everybody does what they want. And unfortunately, interests collide. And maybe you're up at night because things are clashing and crashing all over. And the place to start is with, with the understanding that it, it isn't about us. And you may be saying, I don't like where you're going with that, Pastor. But just hear me out. If it's not about us, then who is it about? We read a minute ago these verses from uh, Colossians chapter um, one sixteen. For in him all things were created, 
and the whole range of places and powers, they're all created for him. And all things have been created through him and for him. So he really is the place to start. And even at age 19, I sense that having hit the wall on so many different fronts, looking for why am I here and answering that question, I've been satisfactorily, increasingly satisfactorily, finding that question answered through my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I understand that it does go better when it is about Him. Because when it's about Him, I understand what He thinks about me. And then I can proceed in a way that is appropriate for that relationship that I have with Him. So when it comes to purpose, He's looking at each of us. And he's saying, you're here for a reason. You are not the result of just accidental chances that have occurred through biology and space and place and material and time that have no really intentional outcome other than to survive. You're here because God made a way for you to be here through circumstances that may or may not have always been the best. But the bottom line is, you're here. And that's where God begins to work in each of our lives. And when God goes to work in your lives, I want you to understand this about the character of the engineer who made us. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Before he created everything under the sun, he first chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Did you catch that in love? He looked at the potential that would unfold, that would become our lives. And he says, I am really excited about this. I am so excited about people coming into being and living their lives out. That I'm going to create this environment for them to live it in called everything under the sun. But he gets very disappointed when we start looking at life apart from him and only fixating on that which we see and making that the thing that defines our existence. And he sees just how futile that is. And he sees just how, over time, empty that becomes. His desire was to make us so that we could know his love. He created us to love us. And beyond that, he wanted to make that relationship special by adopting us into his family. Now, this is where I, as a pastor, I've learned to appreciate God a lot more. Uh, but even more so as a father, when I look at my children, I say, how do I treat my children? Do I, am I concerned about their best interest? Absolutely. Am I concerned about their development? For sure. Am I concerned when they go off the rails? Yeah. And in every way, in every part of their lives, I'm concerned. Why? Because I love them so much. And God, I know, has wired that into each of us to give us experientially a sense of how much he loves you and I. Now, he lets us go through stuff. I mean, my kids, when they go to college, they have problems. They call me up on the phone. I don't tell them everything that I can. I just tell them enough to help them to move forward in their struggle. 
because they have to struggle through stuff in order to get good at the stuff that they need to get good at. And God lets you and I struggle through stuff so that we can get good at the stuff that we need to get good at. I've never learned anything much except for struggling through it. But when you get there, the knowledge just becomes personal and you embody it. That said, God may be working in your life through frustration right now to get your attention, to let you know how maybe there's a greater purpose that he has for you. And you're looking at your work and you're saying, I don't get the connection. I'm not called to be a pastor. Well, whatever God has given you, the desire, the opportunity, the, 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 the passion, the skill set, the mindset, and you move in that direction, that perhaps could be very well something that God has called you to do. And he's called you rather to look at whatever it is that you're in in this season Not as just a place where you can be gainfully employed, but a place where he can work through you to overcome the challenges of the workplace, to be salt and light, and to actually be the influencer rather than the influenced in your workplace. Because we all know there are people that surround us that struggle, and they need some bright lights. Well, God says, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this in a special way. And this is where we end. The scripture tells us in John chapter 7, Jesus told his followers, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And what I've seen as a believer is there is a change that happens. And it begins at baptism. Um, It is a identification of our own lives with the death of Jesus. And it's a death to ourselves when we recognize it's not about me. And then it is a burial of ourselves when we recognize that old way has to go. And then it is a resurrection of ourselves that says, in Jesus, I am a new creation. And as I am living out this new life that has been born again, that has been raised immortal, he has, he has gone a step further since he's made this a safe place for his spirit to be and gifted us with his Holy Spirit. And it is through the power and presence of his Holy Spirit that we begin to move purposefully through life, not in our own power, but through the power and the directing of God himself. I don't know how much you've discovered of that, but when you go into any situation and you're talking to God and you're saying, God, how can you work through this? And you truly, genuinely desire to, to have that answered by him, he'll go to work. And he'll begin to slowly redirect you and change you and help you to see the purpose of why you're here. And ultimately, why are we here? We are here to reflect God's image to the rest of creation. We are here to be... We, we were built for eternity. And most things don't last. I don't know how long my water system's going to last. I don't know how many Apple computers I've had, uh, but stuff just breaks. We break. God says, I, I, I love you too much to keep you broken. I want to move you forward into new life. And that's how I, I really appreciate how this ends up. Because it's really about two things, the bottom line. One is, God made you 
in order to love you. Some of you, I know, that's why you had children. Some of you, like me, you had them. Well, you're mixed. You need somebody to mow the lawn, too. But God made us, ultimately, it is about love. And when we know God, His purpose begins to flow like any good relationship. The influence of the other person begins to influence you. And it helps you through stuff that you have to deal with in life. And it helps you to become the person that God envisioned you to become. But if you don't have a connection to God in any kind of personal relationship, that process can't get underway. So just a couple of things here. Um, We want to help in that process. Uh, if, you, if you like, you can put on your Connect card. I'd like, to, I'd like to move forward in this. I'd like to know more about getting baptized or following the Lord or what it means. We want to help you with that. Or you can see myself uh, or one of the leaders, uh, anyone on the praise team, any of our people standing around. We'd love to help you move forward in that. So that said, God's working in your lives. He's always at work in your lives, as any loving parent would be. Either watching, helping, Enabling, encouraging, even sometimes letting us work through stuff. But he wants to use all that to work together for your good if you know him and trust him.